Sage's Stories. Welcome to today's episode of Sage's Stories, the official podcast of Sage's, the Society of American Gastrointestinal and Endoscopic Surgeons. Please make sure to hit the like button and subscribe so you can stay up to date with our most recent episode and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 10 of Sage's Stories, where we shine the light on some of Sage's most impactful leaders. I am your co-host, Dr. Sharin Tofai from slightly chilly, almost June gloom, Los Angeles, California. And I'm Dr. Kevin L. Hayek, zooming in from Cleveland, Ohio, Sharon and I are so excited to have episode 10. We hit our milestone of Sage's Stories. And the reason we're excited is that because to celebrate this landmark event, we are privileged to have one of the original founders and the first ever Sage's president, Dr. Gerald Marks. He is a perfect 10 in our Sage's world. He was born merely 97 years ago in Brooklyn, New York. He completed his undergraduate and medical education at Villanova College, Jefferson Medical College, and Ohio State University. Dr. Marks then completed his surgical training and proctology fellowship. Yep, colorectal surgery was called proctology then uh, at Jefferson Medical College from 1949 to 1954. He is a World War II veteran who served in the United States Navy, both as a reserve and in active duty. He then followed that with a very active career in colorectal surgery, mostly in Eastern Pennsylvania. Over the span of this podcast, we'll dive a little more into his very active career as a colorectal surgeon, um, and not to be denied the opportunity to still be involved in teaching. He is currently a clinical professor of surgery at Lankenau Institute for Medical Research. We look forward to hearing from the great Dr. Jerry Marks today. Thank you for joining us, sir. You flatter me, Kevin. Thank you for the invitation and um, the pronouncement. Thank you. This is great. Any member of Sages has either known you as a friend or knows of you through your tremendous legacy that you've left with us so far. I've had the privilege of chatting with you, Jerry, and getting to know you. And uh, you sent us your very heavy, thick 53-page CV. <laughs> <laughs> which made for really great, exciting bedtime reading. So thank you for that. Um, as you know, Sage's Stories is a podcast where we really try to get to know some of our Sage's current and past leaders. Over the past nine episodes, we've interviewed a diverse group of Sage's luminaries, such as your friend, George Bercy, who is now 101 years old. We often hear how those of us who are currently practicing stand on the shoulders of giants and your generation of surgeons continue to inspire us as we try to carry on the work that you've done. So perhaps we can start a little bit to hear about your upbringing. Uh, you were born in New York. Did you grow up in New York or did you move no. at a young age? No, um, I was born in Brooklyn and uh, at the age of six months, um, my parents divorced and my mother moved back to Philadelphia oh. with me. <laughs> and uh, I spent my uh, early years uh, in the street 
learning how to survive hmm. in West Philadelphia. It was a great time. I, re I remember it vividly. Wow. Was that a tough time? Um, yes, it was. Um, hmm. But I didn't appreciate that. Um, I live with uh, my mother and extended family. Um, my mother was an immigrant, so I was the first generation. And uh, uh, the depression had not yet set in until um, I was five years old. So my first several years were not bad, but uh, mm -hmm. after that, I became aware of the fact that um, resources were limited and that um, there was a challenge ahead. Yeah, the Great Depression. Um, but that, that, of course, helped shape me, I'm certain. Um, I was uh, a good student, but um, difficult to control, which of course made me the person I am uh, as an adult. Um, as I review some of the pivotal points in my life, I realized that um, they all contributed to how Sages was formed. Shaking the tree of tradition, resisting oppression, and uh, promoting what I thought in my heart was best. Um, I had a, an interesting childhood intermediate period, high school experience. Mm -hmm. uh, the war started when I was uh, a six, 16 year old senior in high school. Yeah. In December 7th and um, This is World War II you're talking about? Pardon? That was Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. And uh, gee, I jumped. I jumped over a lot of stories. <laughs> you jumped no, over all the girlfriends from high school. We didn't get no, those. <laughs> no, I, somehow I was not sophisticated enough to to have any reasonable success. What with the young women. <laughs> um, I'm sure you're being a proctologist helped afterwards. <laughs> we don't, I never use that term. As, as a matter of fact, when I decided to become a colorectal surgeon, yeah. I um, described a path that was uh, a bit unique. I think there were only 13 board certified general and colorectal surgeons. Uh, when I graduated medical school in 1949. Mm -hmm. um, so 
I never used the term proctology for me because I was more than a one or two inch guy. I was, yeah, right. I was the whole package. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'm not sure just what sort of flavor you want in this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's oh, we're talk. like Baskin Robbins. We got yeah. the flavors. Don't worry about that. Yeah. But, but maybe, maybe talk to us a little bit about the, the twenties and the thirties, you know, I, I think specifically we know uh, just from reading about many of us, just how challenging that time was. You, you alluded to the resources shortage and, and obviously we're, we, we feel, uh, we feel inflation and we feel a lot of things now, but you know, obviously oh, fail, oh. fail in comparison to what, what you went through. So what was that like? How did that, how did that impact um, you? My mother remarried. Uh, my mother was a beautician and she had a beauty shop and she was the breadwinner. And uh, uh, my recollection is that on Friday evening, there would be a loud discussion as to whether the the bread man or the milk man would be paid. And uh, there was that atmosphere of uh, challenge that I recall. Um, but everyone around us had the same challenges with rare exceptions. So, we didn't feel uh, deprived in any way. Um, the interesting thing as I reflect is how fortune, good fortune, directed me to uh, this unbelievably fulfilling career. I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable really because when I finished high school, I had no idea how I could possibly go to college and succeed in any avenue. I didn't decide on wanting to be a surgeon until um, April of my senior year in high school when um, during the first blackout experience in Philadelphia, I had an appendectomy for acute appendicitis. I was a oh. ward patient. I was a ward patient at the University of Pennsylvania. You were, that was in high school? That was your senior year I, in high I school? I was a senior. I, I was mm -hmm. a 16 year old senior in, in high school. Mm -hmm. And I went down to the hospital alone and uh, I always negotiated <laughs> independently. Uh, I was a ward patient and the chief resident operated on me. But what I witnessed in the preparation and in the conduct of my post-operative period was uh, a, a culture that I had never been aware of, I, and I saw how important and serious the role of the surgeon was, and the adoration that he received from all those people he worked with, 
and for the people he operated on. And I was- That's true. An impressionable, wide-eyed 16-year-old in a large ward. I mean, that was a great experience. And I could see how he interacted with all the patients and the personnel. I thought, goodness gracious, I want to be like him. Wow. And that's I, fascinating. Yeah. So um, I decided that I could die. Uh, without remorse, right? Well, you don't have any remorse after you die, of course. Um, but I, the point. war had started and all my friends <laughs> went in the service. All the kids in the neighborhood went in the service. And um, I wanted to have one semester of college and then I was prepared to take whatever consequences the war brought. So I went to work at RCA um, for six months and then took a semester at Villanova before I enlisted in the Navy in uh, June of 1943 when the war was raging. Um, and that was my good fortune because without that, I would never have been a physician. Um, so, so you you did your military service then, and and after you went on to residency, and then is that kind of the the pathway then? When you look at the well, dates, just how to yeah help us with the dates there. So you did you go straight from high school, or did you go straight uh, to college and then medical school? How did that service fit in there? Good. By all means, see if I give this to you in a linear fashion. I, I worked at RCA, then I had a semester at Villanova in pre-med. Then I enlisted in the Navy and went to boot camp, at the conclusion of which I had a choice of either going to Annapolis or uh, studying pre-med. I chose pre-med, of course. Nice. And they, they sent me back to Villanova, which was uh, unexpected as well. And then um, in an accelerated course, it was only three years of college, I entered Jefferson. At the end of which, in my four years, I graduated in 49, I, I had a two-year internship where we had no days off and zero pay. Oh. No pay. <laughs> you had to buy your own uniforms. You know, we wore um, uh, white jackets and white duck pants. Did you, you get room? What? Was it that you got room? That you just got, they just gave you room? Well, yeah, we had um, a residence. Uh, yeah. They had hospital beds welded on top of one another. Do you know how high that is? <laughs> oh my God. If you had to jump out of bed in the middle of the night, you'd <laughs> your ankle. 
Well, yeah, they were called the resident dorm or the interns in residence dorm or something like that, right? Right, either in the hospital yeah. or adjacent to the hospital. We were in the we were in the a portion of the medical school, a clinic. It was really part of the clinic that had been uh, cannibalized. In in any case, um, the pay was zip. Um, zip. Uh, <laughs> but we learned to exist. Wow. And we were very happy. Um, did you did you have to pay for medical school? Oh, well, that's really part of the story I left out. The most important part of the story was the Navy sent me through college and I entered medical school as the war ended. Ah, okay. I was still in the Navy. I see. And I, I was discharged in December of 45. Hmm. And I had the GI Bill, which carried me um, for an for three years and I had to pay for my last year. I think the tuition was $400 and I lived at home, so mm -hmm. I could do that. Um, but but a friend gave me $100 as a graduation president, president uh, wow. from medical school. And that's how I purchased my uniforms. Then. Mm. With each ensuing year, you um, you adopted the uniforms that were discarded by the the graduating residents, and um, sometimes it took a full roll of adhesive tape to uh, patch it up so that you could go to work. Oh my! Um, so, so you you then after at some point you you made the very wise decision to move to the great state of Ohio in 1952 and did some some postgraduate studies. See, I, I tell Sharon that all the greats spend at least at least a little time in, in Ohio, this wonderful state. And but I just can't seem to draw away from, Where did from you Los grow Angeles. Up? I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Did you really? Oh. I did. Yeah. So Was your father in the steel business? No, he's a surgeon. Uh, he's an immigrant oh, really? as well. Yeah. Cold he's steel. A, yeah, cold, cold steel. steel. Yeah, he's in the cold steel industry. <laughs> yes, uh, he's a, he's a general surgeon. Yeah, he's still practicing. Uh, oh, Youngs good. Youngstown, Ohio, good. seventy-five. Kick, still kicking. He probably works harder than I do. I, there's no doubt he works harder than I Where do. Where did he go to medical school? In Lyon, in France. Lyon. Yeah, in Lyon. John Papillon. Yes, yes. Do you know Jean Papillon? Well, he told me about him. Yeah, he told me all about him. Yeah, I spent some sweet moments there. Wow, that's great. Lyon's yeah. a great town. Lyon's a great town. So, so, so ahead, Terry, Jason. okay, we got the whole thing about Ohio. Thank you, Kevin. Okay, well, uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks very much. But, I just wanted to say you yeah, spent I'll some time in Ohio. I love I was, that. That's I great. was doing high altitude physiology at the Aeromedical Laboratory uh, in the Air Force. In, in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, Dayton and right, right and state, right, right, right Patterson. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And I was with a group of guys who were internal med medicine residents from Duke, who were as bright as could be, and we put together a, a physiology program, and we wanted to 
take a sophisticated approach to our studies and we enlisted at, at Ohio State. It, it ended up, we gave the course ourselves. <laughs> So you were both the students and the teachers. You gave the course. Yeah. Well, it the was a depression. You forget. These guys were smart. <laughs> these guys were smart. But that experience at Wright Patterson was uh, enormous. Um, we had more electronic equipment in a closet than the whole medical school I came from uh, wow. enjoyed. Um, so interesting. So Ohio, Xenia, Ohio. Xenia, Ohio. I know it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So what that H stands for. Uh, oh, Kevin's wearing no, a t-shirt no. with an H oh, on it. Yes, oh yes, my t-shirt. Yeah, so I, I did spend some time in Boston too. I, I went to undergrad at Harvard. So he's a Harvard these are my, man. These are my, uh, oh. you know, yeah. Okay. So. You, you, you seem to be the exception. You seem to be normal. Uh, that's true <laughs> i tell all my roommates that, that some of them listen so uh, i tell them that as well so see <laughs> hey, where did you reside where did you take your residency oh uh, case western reserve uh, case uh, in uh, in cleveland. ohio in ohio yeah and then i stayed yeah, well, here uh, and then course, cleveland uh, cleveland clinic for residency and in stayed ohio. there also in ohio so i'm stuck um, i'm in ohio i'm an ohio boy <laughs> Was Jeff Ponsky the chair when you were there? He was the chair of University Hospitals when I was at Case for medical school, and then so and then he had come back to the Cleveland Clinic when I was there as faculty. So we we actually shared an office for a year. It's a I have a great picture of us sharing wow. an office as he was moving into his uh, his uh, his new digs there at the at the Cleveland Clinic for his his final run. He recently retired, but it, he's probably he's he's going to be back there teaching as well so it, it's, oh, did he, he retire he did he did officially a but then girl, i saw him a youngster like that yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yep he did but he's he's still very active still very active in the city i have warm memories of him um he at a very early uh moment in his career he he was at um Oh, this is good. I'm getting some dirt on Dr. Ponsky. This is awesome. Yes. He was at, what's the name of the? Not, Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. He was at Mount Sinai mm -hmm. and tried to make a name for himself. And he was interested in endoscopy. So he put together a flexible fiber optic sigmoidoscopy mm -hmm. program, which uh, um, I participated in. I was sort of the um, kingpin at that time. Was that and, also where you were both the learner and the teacher? Pardon? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Never mind. Well, say that again. Is that also a situation where you were the teacher and the learner and maybe the patient no, no, at the same time? No. He was time? just the teacher then, I bet. Oh, oh wait a second. Wait, I, yeah, I taught myself. We had to teach ourselves. Yeah. Um, I had the first production model colonoscope in the nation that moved in one plane. What? Wow. And That's really there was, cool. There wasn't anybody could really show me how to use it. The engineer from Olympus um, visited and was very, very helpful, but it was mostly trial and error and teaching yourself 
uh, I, I marvel at how we survived those periods. So based on your story, surgery was, it sounds like you wanted to be a surgeon. You had great exposure early on. We are the best of the best in terms of medical doctors. We all believe that. Um, right. Unbiased, non-biased. Not biased. No, of course. This is objective data. Yeah. And we're the best looking, apparently. That's that's been proven <laughs> in the literature that surgeons are better looking than us. Karen helps us all out with that. Yeah. Um, oh so, God. So did that go from <laughs> did you go from is it is it like now where you you finish your at the end of your medical school, you you try and match in a residency program? Is that how you get into resin got into residency or? There was not a match. Yeah, no. what was the situation? No, but um, uh, I interned, as I told you, I had a two-year internship of which I spent 18 months because the Korean War had started and I, and I joined the Air Force at that time. And before I left, I had had, a, had my residency promised at Jefferson by the chairman of the department, Thomas Aloysius Shallow. Um, so that's how that happened. I, I finished my residency in 57. <laughs> if you're interested in a little side story. Absolutely. Uh, I did high altitude physiology. At Ohio State. Right, at, right Patterson. Oh, okay. All right. And still Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, still in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> still in Xenia. Um, uh, and I did some work on positive negative resuscitation and the post-hypercapnic syndrome, which is what triggered um, ventricular fibrillation um, after cyclopropane anesthesia. Mm. And, and I was able to prove that reducing the mean endotracheal endobronchial pressure would benefit the patient in that particular situation. During anesthesia or in the ICU? During in surgery? Immediate, in the immediate cessation of the- Anesthesia. Uh, anesthesia. Mm, wow. Um, but I, I had data that showed that by lowering the mean endotracheal pressure with a positive negative resuscitator, which by the way, wasn't available. This, this came from a German scientist who, was a, who had come to the aeromedical laboratory and uh, the little resuscitator was designed for mass casualties, but it had negative phase and I was able to study that. And on the basis, I, I was so excited about the data that I hitched a ride back to uh, Philadelphia to meet with Dr. John Gibbon, who at that time had been appointed, no, he had not been appointed um, the chair, but he was there. And uh, I shared my data with him and he was very excited about it. In the end, uh, he suggested, by the way, we didn't have an anesthesiologist 
1952, 53, 54. Right. That's right. Yeah. It was was Surgeon Run, right? It was Surgeon Run at that time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, No, Johns Hopkins, the the head of anesthesia, was an EMT man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They were different days. Different days. Uh, and and Dr. Gibbon, because of my research, thought I should be the first chair of anesthesiology at Jefferson. Wow. Oh. So so was this then before your fellowship or after your fellowship? Well, the, he made the offer during my residency. During your residency. Okay. But, but I had interacted with him. I had done some little research in his laboratory before the, he succeeded in the, the heart-lung machine's first operation in 1953. But aside from that, it was, it was torturous for me to say no to Dr. Gibbon. I wanted to be a colorectal surgeon. So you declined and and went to you you did a additional training, and yeah. I can't imagine at that time you 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 even mentioned that there were several few um, you know thirteen or so. There um, were only thirteen. Yeah. So what was that year like? You know that kind of specialized training. It was clearly a unique uh, situation back then. It was sort of different. It it didn't fill the usual description. It was mostly anorectal stuff. I had the big stuff. Dr. Thomas Aloysius Shadow had the, one of the largest colorectal services in town, except for Dr. Harry Bacon. So I had a big experience in colorectal surgery in the open part of the surgery. It was the anorectal stuff that I spent a year doing. A bit different, but it sort of gave me a different perspective, totally. And um, as, as part of my development, I, as I finished my residency, I worked at Philadelphia General Hospital as uh, the acting uh, director of the Jefferson Service. And that sort of put the um, frosting on my surgical educational experience. So I'm, I'm not giving you a linear description of anything. <laughs> This is awesome. But it was. A, it's it was coming a- together. It is coming together. We, I, I think you know. Whenever you're talking to someone, you know, that has kind of lived through so much, um, up and down, and in, in our country, and and certainly uh, just the length of time. Um, my my wife's grandmother's still still here. She's 96, so she's in your era too. And whenever we talk, it's always just, it's amazing. Uh, what you've what you've experienced over these these decades so we love hearing about it I love these stories so Jerry when um, 
George Bercy and Rick Green came on, they each had their take on how Sages was born. Um, and of course, you were very instrumental in the foundation of it as well. Uh, maybe you can share with us, once you became a colorectal surgeon involved in sigmoidoscopy and all these new technologies, what is your story? What do you recall as the birth of Sages? Well, um, we're all the product of a series of accidents. From the this is true. Moment of conception, perhaps. <laughs> and it was just one event after another that sort of built my entire experience and shaped my perspective. Um, I got interested in radiation injuries. That's a whole different story. Hmm. Um, I had an unusual experience. Uh, I'll stop. Here we go. Dr. Simon Kramer came to Jefferson from London with the idea that high-dose high radiation could affect the growth of rectal cancer at a time when the surgical establishment suggested that that was impossible, that mm -hmm. adenocarcinoma was resistant to radiation. But he believed in high-dose radiation and we had a close relationship. So he asked me to operate on the patients that he treated with cobalt 60 unit with high dose radiation. Hmm. At that time, the, medic, the surgical establishment felt that it was too dangerous to operate on the, the radiated pelvis. And, and if you did operate on those people, there would be no healing. They might bleed to death during the surgery. And so mm -hmm. the, the admonition was do not operate on the radiated pelvis. Mm. I was forced, as, as I just finished my residency, because of my relationship with Simon Kramer, I had no choice but to do as he asked me to. And I did an ab abdominal perineal resections on these people that had had full dose radiation. I learned that if you followed precise technique that these people could be operated on safely. So that began my experience in operating on the irradiated pelvis at a time when other surgeons refused to do so. The, some of the reported series at, at, in the uh, 60s was a, included a 50% mortality. So yeah. I built up a, uh, an experience with radiation injuries and I wanted to study them further. All we had available was a rigid sigmoidoscope mm -hmm. and with the oh. fixation and contracture of the mm. treated rectum, there wasn't any 
possible way you could explore mm. Poland. So I had been itching for a flexible instrument. I was following what they were bring out at the American College of Surgeons each year. And then finally they came up with a colonoscope. And um, without my wife knowing it, I took our earthly savings and wow. purchased the first production model available. Wow. Uh, wow. But but you know that I guess serendipity was at my right elbow or something. Uh, so that, I got a, I have a just quick question about this. So you buy yeah. this device. It's a prototype. Um, it's what the six seventies at this point, 60s, no, 70s, no. 1969, 69. Yeah. So it's 1969. And so what's the process of introducing this or, you know, your patient, I mean, you have this prototype, you know, do you bring it to the hospital? Like, how do you, you know, how, how does that kind of enter into practice at that point? Uh, I had it at the hospital. Um, I would just examine people, not with any particular design or reason at the time. Wow. Early, early on. You just told um, them, hey, we got this new flexible. Yeah, well, let, let's look. Let's look. And so I had an initial experience. Mm -hmm. um, there are all sorts of side stories to this. As I can well. imagine. <laughs> because, I can side imagine. stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, we did it under fluoroscopy. Under fluoroscopy. Yeah. I remember some of these uh, early. And, and then, of yeah. course, you were at the mercy of the radiologist. Right, right. Case to do. Wow. And, and wow. then, on that, the only place I could store the colonoscope was in the closed closet of the chairman of radiology. Wow. Who, who washed the, it? Yeah, who I'm a, who, this <laughs> is did. you who washed, washed it. it. You oh, washed yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, I, oh wow. yeah. I, I mean, too expensive to allow anybody else to touch it. But wow. Wow. And, find a closet that no one had a key to and that was dr philip Hody's closet oh my goodness <laughs> what i didn't what i didn't know was that he took a nap <laughs> <laughs> every afternoon after lunch so i could get in to get the yeah. damn instrument because <laughs> oh, he didn't know you were hiding it there well no no he knew i was hiding it there but isn't that <laughs> priority? So, and then I had to put the, the put the stuff on a wheelchair and wheel it around from elevator to elevator, hospital to hospital. So effectively, you were the you know one of the first, if not the first, to do flexible endoscopy, flexible yes. colonoscopy in the U.S. Yes, but then, okay. then, of course, things opened up. The end of um, um, 71, we, we did the first polypectomy. Shinya mm. um, mm. was the first, uh, but it was a, a wire loop <laughs> in a plastic tube in your lasso. <laughs> 
the pollen. And you know, the, you have to understand when you do that the, for the first time, you don't know <laughs> when you what's step on that yeah. bovine petal. You have no you idea. You don't know what's happening. Yeah. Well, we survived that. Oh, but Lord. what occurred to me in 1972 and 73 was we were beginning to have a lot of experience and there was no structure to the endeavor. Mm -hmm. And I, I decided we ought to have a symposium. Oh, we had wow. the first colonoscopy symposium in the world. Um, I, I did it with Worth Boyce, who was a colonel uh, in the army, it's a um, GI division, a great guy. And he and I co-chaired the first symposium. It was held in Philadelphia. We had 300 people, standing room only. They, they were wow. knocking the doors down. It was something new and exciting because we could discover cancers for the first time with any authority and um, you can remove polyps. So in 1974, we had the first colonoscopy symposium. I had to undersign a $25,000 chit in the event that this symposium would Wouldn't, lose money. Would, wow. Wow. Did your wife know about that? No. <laughs> I didn't know what $25,000 looked like or felt like. Oh, my gosh. Wow. In any case, it was a great success. And um, that was in Philadelphia? It was in Philadelphia. We brought mm -hmm. together um, a faculty uh, of surgeons and gastroenterologists. Uh, we, we had all sorts of different specialties attend. It was an exciting time because it was new. Um, so was, that, was that the beginning then of SAGES? That was kind of the, the, the well, foundation? Of, of course, it, it, it was the spawning ground. Mm -hmm. um, in 1976, uh, which is the second symposium there were several surgeons oh gosh john oh john 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 i'm having trouble with names but it became apparent that the asge which is what we all belong to we're not kindly disposed surgeons and that there were the, yeah. the, the manner in which surgeons approach an issue was yeah. quite different than how the gastroenterologists approach so mm -hmm. it became evident that it would be helpful to have a surgical segment to mm -hmm. ASDA okay I mean, that made great sense, but they would have none of that. And you just had to flip so, the letters around and you got sages. 
the ASG. No, no, it wasn't no. that easy. Though. No, I know, I know. No, no, no. Getting... Close. Uh, close. We needed one more <laughs> S to get it. You know, it, it came out to <laughs> the American Society of Surgical Endoscopists. What, what does that sound like? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. American, American Society, Society of Surgical Endoscopists. The A's. Okay, well, well, the family program. Yes, yes, yes. Can't take me anywhere. 1976 and 77, the scope was introduced. And it was used clinically by gastroenterologists. And they gave papers condemning it. Mm. And it occurred to me that they weren't seeing the same people that I was seeing, and there was no way in the world that they would have data like that. So I decided to put together a six institutional study of the flexible sigmoidoscope and its productivity. So I gave that paper in 1979 at Digestive Disease Week for ASGE. You know, our data showed that we found three, three times the amount of uh, significant pathology, mostly cancers, mm-hmm. with a flexible sigmoidoscope than you would with a rigid scope. Wow. It was a comparative study. And as I gave the talk, there, there might have been several thousand people in the audience, but as I gave the talk, some of the, the shakers and movers in ASGE were lining up behind the microphones, shoot me down because it was apparent that they wanted to kill the flexible sigmoidoscope for several reasons. Number one, it was an introduction to colonoscopy by surgeons, and they didn't want that to happen. And number two, it might um, avoid it, it. It it might make colonoscopy um, less desirable in many cases. No, no, not no. I didn't say that properly. What it what it meant was their business was going to be thwarted. Mm-hmm. Um, so. As I stood there and handled their questions, I resolved that the time was right for the creation of a surgical uh, society of endoscopists, gastrointestinal endoscopists. And that might have been in May and in June, I, I, went to the American side of colorectal surgeons and made a pitch to um, a pretty substantial group and they all wanted it badly. And uh, one thing led to another and Sages was born. And then, you know, wow. keep keeping in line with many firsts that you experienced, you, you were elected the first president of Sages so oh, appointed, I mean, elected, appointed. I mean, oh, yeah, appointed. 
<laughs> appointed, appointed. Yes, appointed. Yes. So what was that year like? What were oh. some of your responsibilities oh. and projects? What was that year like? It's Where pers- was it? It's perspicacious of you. You realize that there will be a lot of intricacies. Yeah. 1979-80. Yeah. And I was able to... Good year. I was born in 79. So that's a great year. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. In, in Ohio. In Ohio. In Ohio. <laughs> yeah, you left that out. Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, yeah, 79. That again. Uh, you want to know? You want to say it again? It was a great year. It was a in great Ohio. year. It was. In the Ohio. peg was born the next year, 1980. So those, those were good years. <laughs> okay. So Sorry. Um, I was able, I, I realized that we needed a healthy mix of participants in the early stages. And I asked some of the colorectal surgeons to step down, which they did. So we then began to have a um, uh, multidisciplinary group of surgeons who got together with a full measure of enthusiasm to start this society. Now, what hasn't been appreciated, and tell me, you can tell me whether you had heard this before. There was there were surgeons who wanted to kill us. Literally? We we heard a little bit from Rick about yeah. the uh yeah. Uh yeah. A little bit, but not okay. well, not well, to maybe not, let's hear your your version. Let's, yeah, let's you tell us your version. Yeah, we're now we're looking at 1980 when we had our first scientific meeting in Atlanta. Atlanta. All right. Yeah. By the way, John Marks was there as a senior in high school. He was. Oh, that's isn't cool. That, isn't that cool? That is. Um, there's another side story to that, but. I won't digress. Um, uh, we started to get structure and, and formulate our objectives, and they were they're notable. Um, and all of a sudden, we we sensed that there was resistance on the part of SSAT. And uh, you'd have to wonder why that was. Yeah. I mean, and at that time, there weren't many surgical societies. Is that correct? There was ACS, SSAT, you know, a few others, right? I mean, maybe some of the, some of the, uh, some of the regional societies, things like that. You're correct. Um, uh, What we, we offered we originally offered to be part of SSAT. Mm-hmm. Would you like us to be part of your group? And they rejected us. And then we suggested that we develop a bridge between the two societies, SAGES mm-hmm. and SSAT, which was rejected as well. 
And the reason was, mm. these were, SSHE were mostly academic surgeons who had important connections with the deans mm. and, and endoscopy was an important economic element to medical departments and medical school, departments of medicine. So there was a, a good reason for them acting out as representatives of their deans to kill us. Just for the audience, uh, SSAT is the Surgical Society of the Elementary Society Tract. of Surgery of the Surgical Elementary Society. Tract. Yes. Yeah, very and, and very remember, academic, yeah. There's another story about SSAT and how it developed uh, at a time when cardiothoracic and vascular surgery was the in thing. And department chairman who didn't do that wanted to uh, glorify their own position. Yeah, so, very academic society and sounds like a terrorist organization too. <laughs> <laughs> now I am a member and uh, I'm proud. I member. was a member uh, too, I know. Uh, I'm well, proud. I mean, it'll be there next week uh, at, the, at the DDW. It's just a lot. There's a lot more collaboration these days. Locked I think and loaded. Are you going to oh, be there, yeah. Kevin? Oh, locked and loaded. <laughs> There's some cute stories that I could tell you as well, but I'm not sure. Oh, we're running out of time. Um, we'll keep you over for a little bit because this is too um, good. But but we want to hit a couple other topics. But 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 yes yes we'll um, this one's going to go over and we're going to be okay with that. Oh, but by the way, some of our members were threatened with uh, academic annihilation. Mm. That's how bad it was. Mm, and not. now, if you, if you reflect backwards, you realize that many of the sages presidents have have been presidents of SSAT. SAT, yes. So, yes. The, the, you know, the, the world turns. The world turns. But there's so, so many experiences embedded in these stories, you, you can't believe. It was a, it was fun. And then um, we had some scientific meetings, principally in Philadelphia. And Sages was firmly founded. That's it. That's wow. it. Wow. That's but amazing. I, you know, there were rough spots. Uh, there really were. Sages, you know, we all love Sages. It's We all think it's the funnest, best meeting. And we belong to a lot of surgical societies, but oh, uh, it's, some there's special. something special about it, right? Something mm -hmm. special. No, no. We tried to explain it. Um, yeah. Well, I think what happened was we attracted a lot of young, energetic, mm -hmm. uh -huh. ambitious, fair-minded, yeah. great people. A lot yeah. of little Kevins. <laughs> and Sheerans. <laughs> and Sheerans. Kevins and Sheerans. Um, yeah. Are you a member of Sages, Kevin? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been a member, you know. A whole fifteen years. I mean, yeah, well, I was. Yeah, I was. You remember a, your first meeting? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Remember my first. You remember meeting. that Friday night? Oh, I remember it. Yeah, like it was <laughs> yesterday. I was like, "What is going on here?" 
there are a bunch of Asian uh, surgeons who I saw <laughs> giving talks earlier and now are are dressed somewhat differently. Uh, yes. Oh, oh, those, those, days, those days were really something. And it was all new and exciting. Yeah. And there was a, a brotherhood and a sisterhood. Yes. And a motherhood, you know. Yeah. Uh, yes. the, by the way, the, the wives of yeah. uh, our first groups of members uh, played a major role in uh, mm. us together. So, so um, one of the very popular parts of Sages uh, we'll get to, but an equally popular part is the Gerald Marks lecture. I love the Gerald Marks lecture. I always make sure that I attend it. It is so epic every time there's a guest lecture for that name lecture named after you, obviously. Um, for our audience, if you're You'd like to listen to past ones on YouTube. The Gerald Marks lectures are available. And if you're a Sages member on the Sages Meeting app, you can catch the past invited lectures. But, um, did you know that there would be a lecture name after you? And what was uh, what was the impetus behind no, that in terms I, of no, I, how I, it all I, happened? No, no, I, I, I had no idea. Uh, I think it was Jeff Ponsky who made the suggestion. Really? But, so mm. I owe him a, mm. a big thanks. But it is, it's overwhelming. I mean, yeah. you know, from someone who had one pair of pants in high school, yes, working for 17 cents an hour after school. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. To get for which I get I get no remuneration now. I wonder if you could do something. <laughs> we'll we'll bring that up. We'll bring that up with the uh, with the executive. Leadership. They're going to be listening. So, or and and we can have a lectureship on major hernia that I've established. caused. Caused, yes. <laughs> yeah, we can so, have the Gerald Marks free lecture. We have we have a special segment. Here on Sage's Stories, that is um, our our favorite segment. It's it's called the uh, "We Are the Sages" segment. Yes. And when you think back on all the Sages meetings you've attended, what sticks out as the most memorable moment? That's easy. It was the beginning of the surgical revolution. In April of 1989, Jacques Parasat, uh, do you know, are you familiar with Jacques? Yes. Yes. He was, um, the the pre first president of EAES, mm -hmm. my close friend, Jacques Parasat called me to see whether he could present a video on laparoscopic cholecystectomy. Wow. We were meeting in April in Louisville, Kentucky. And it sounded ridiculous to me. So I made a few excuses. 
which were really reasonable because uh, the program had already been set. We couldn't fit him into the main program, but we could afford him a booth in the scientific area where he could present his video. Well, the rest is history because nobody was in the auditorium. Everybody was at his booth watching the ultrasonographic decimation of gallstones and doing a laparoscopic cholecystectomy. I couldn't sleep that night. It was so vivid beyond all expectations as well. So it just shook me out of my shoes. Uh, that was... But that was the beginning of the surgical revolution. Yeah, yeah. And all of surgery has changed. The resistance to change that um, characterized the surgical establishment had to be thrown out the window because everything changed. And uh, you could no longer resist that. That's amazing. So that was my. Do you That's have a sage's have memory experience that you'd like to mention? Oh, Kevin's is not PG. <laughs> what? <laughs> my yeah, Sharon is saying that mine is not. Uh, it's not our uh, our sage's stories uh, podcast is. Uh, Currently family friendly, and she she says mine is not family friendly. That which is not true. I have, you know, I honestly my favorite memory was when Jeff Ponsky and Todd Ponsky were doing a lecture on doing a peg versus a laparoscopic G tube, and I mean I was like my side was hurting from watching these two father son surgeons battle it out on the stage i mean it was just that. fantastic oh I, I didn't see that oh you gotta look that one up that i was mean a good it, one. Yeah. it I was and that. then 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 they it was when ipeg and sages had joined for a year i think it was in san diego and then they ended up doing a a thing in the sing-off where they sang anything you can do i can do better i mean it was it was oh, fantastic oh, oh, oh. So that was probably the most memorable moment for me. Oh, that that should be because you're close to both of them. Yeah, I know both of them. I mean, I you yeah, know, and, oh, just, that, and, and my Ohio. dad, my dad knows, you know, Jeff Ponsky. They're they're like the same age, and they all see each other. And Jeff so, that old? Yeah, yeah, he's probably seventy six. Yeah, my dad's seventy five. I think he's got him by one year. Mm -hmm. So Jared, well, we didn't get much to we didn't get to know you about your family much, except for except for the multiple times your wife didn't know about the investments you made. <laughs> but <laughs> um, maybe give us a little glimpse uh, into your family, and uh, I do want to mention John Marks, yeah, um, John your Marks. son who has followed your footsteps. Well, my oldest son is Richard. Uh, he's an orthopod who specialized oh. in foot and ankle surgery. He was um, a tennis player of some sort. He's an All-American. Started to try to play in the pro circles. Um, that's Richard. He's followed by, Richard went to Haverford. 
He's followed by Jimmy, who went to Swarthmore and was the first electronic bank analyst in the world. He was in banking business. Mm. Um, and then there's John. Maybe. John couldn't get into Jefferson, so he went to Yale. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I got that wrong. <laughs> I like that one. Hey, hey, I like that hey, joke. No, That's no, a good no, joke I, for I, me. I, I have that one. <laughs> he went to Yale undergraduate, and then he went to Jefferson Medical School. So. <laughs> Excellent. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, that was a major decision. Wait, when he finished his surgical training, there was a move afoot to encourage people to take one or two years in the laboratory. Yeah. It was 94. And I was seeing, you know, I was observing what was happening in surgery with laparoscopy. So it was my advice for him not to go in the lab, but to take um, a postgraduate course in laparoscopy. And he went to Nice, France. Nice. With Jean Bouillot, nice. and that was the difference. Um, wow. You know, he, I was able to arrange for him to meet Gerhard Buis at that time, and he went up and spent time with Gerhard Buis of TEM. So he had that solid beginning at a time when colorectal surgeons said laparoscopy had no role to play in colorectal surgery. So John has become a virtuoso, if I can say so myself. You can, uh, and we will, we will vouch for that comment, yes. Uh, and uh, have you seen any of his single port? I have. I've seen. You know, I'm not a colorectal surgeon, but I've definitely ventured into some of those sessions, uh, especially when I was in training. And I, I always would see him prominently, you know, showing his work, and it was always impressive. So he is. A, he's a talented surgeon, for, no doubt. Well, I think that you're all very talented. Um, so don't be jealous, Kevin, but I, I'm always jealous. I'm always jealous. I feel I have a special <laughs> bond with Jerry that you may not have yet. We have developed a nice friendship over a short time. Ooh. I got a gift. Did you get a gift, Kevin? I did not get a gift. Yeah. I did not get a gift. I did get a You're, gift. Well, you know what? You you are a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> from Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> You're not from Ohio. No, he's talking about you. You're the troublemaker, oh, Sharon. Yeah, no. you're the troublemaker. <laughs> Sharon. Let me tell you. I'll tell you what it is, Kevin. So I got this beautiful gift in the in the mail. Um, it's a calendar. It's actually the Marks calendar. Oh. Marks colorectal surgery calendar. And every month has a beautiful hand painting of a part of the world. And it's all Jerry's. Wow. different areas that he's visited it's so beautiful and i'm not i i do i paint as well so i i can i can tell talent it's really you, really you well paint? done did you I say paint. you paint 
I do. What medium? What medium? Acrylic mostly and some watercolor. Oh, well, let's let's have a show. <laughs> we should. Oh Yours my gosh. So surgeons good. who paint. Surgeons who paint. Well, surgeons, I think surgeons tend to have an artistic streak usually. No so it's not uncommon to to um to enjoy some type of art. Yeah. But, but yours is really good, Jerry. I'm so I did not know that you were also an artist. Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. And you do this every year. Every year you have a calendar that has your work in it. Is that right? Pretty the much. 23rd, the 23rd edition. Wow. Wow. And I'll it's tell you, up. just I, 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 we didn't touch on so much of your life. Obviously, it's, it's so rich. But one of the things you see is just all the travel that you did and all the honorary member of, of multiple uh, societies and uh, multiple um, countries that that you know welcomed you in to be members of their societies, and I I know that um, you probably have some fantastic uh, paintings. I, Sharon, just send me a couple pictures so that I can be jealous. Hey, uh, I will text you, uh, Kevin. Please, if you were kind enough to send me your email address, sure, Kevin, and your mailing address. See how I fish there. With Get this, we'll rectify everything. <laughs> See, fishing helps. I mean, Sharon. mine had a love note on it too. Uh, okay, I, I think I'll get. Well. I think I'll get. Oh, something you to are it. a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll listen. A love I, note too, Kevin. <laughs> thank I'm you, thank back. you. You know, listen. I I know I speak for Sharon and myself, and and likely all of our listeners. When I am just, I'm so thankful for being able to spend this hour and a, you know, yes. hour plus with you. I mean, your story is so amazing. And um, where I feel just privileged to be ones that captured it in this podcast format, I, I kind of have this vision of, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, people going back and saying, who, who founded, you know, who is the first president of Station? Oh, you know, I think there was a podcast uh, yes. and, and, and it's going to be episode 10 of the first year of Sage's stories. And, and it was just, fantastic to hear from you so thank you thank you um i I, there were so many things i didn't say i know i I know i i I didn't we may have to do a part two we may have to do a part two telephone conversation at one o'clock in the morning with ken ford where Mm. we would orchestrate um um some negotiations he would wear the white hat and I wear the black hat. Everybody hated me and they loved me. <laughs> Good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Good cop, bad cop. This is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jerry. We really appreciate it. Oh, hey, let's share um, images. You, you never touched upon my tennis. Oh, my God. I, did, I didn't know about your tennis. When do you play tennis? I, get, I don't play anymore I, I i played the 90 year old grass court championships where we almost beat the world champions wow oh my. is this how your son richard kind of got into it too or did he get More, it before you yeah he did it before you or you did tennis growing up no no i, I didn't play i didn't play competitive tennis until i was 85 <laughs> That's great. See, there's hope. I have hope. So there's hope for all of us. Yes. <laughs> this is okay. great. Very well, good. Hey, thanks so much for this wonderful interlude. Um, 
I should have told the stories a little more. It was perfect. Sequential. Uh, no, no, it was perfect. This is exactly what this is exactly yeah, I, what we're looking for. Kevin, I have a question for you. Yes. I know how Sharon got involved in um, the artistic side of communications. How about you? Were you a disc jockey or? A no, <laughs> you know, believe it or not. So I, I listened to podcasts and I, I would listen to them on my way to work. And um, many of the podcasts from many of these societies are they're clinically based, right? They're, they're on some clinical topic and people will talk about it. And I, I just felt, and then the, the one that, one that I really like is legends of surgery, which, uh, often talks about surgeons who I like that one a lot. Yeah. Too. It's, and the thing that I thought is that, you know, we have living legends of surgery in sages. So I thought it would be a great idea for sages to start a podcast. So I, I joined the communications committee. It was one of the first initiatives that I introduced to Archana Ramaswamy, who was the communications chair at the time. And Sharon was obviously, you know, doing fantastic work with her Hernia Live podcast and many things. So we teamed up and that that was the that's how it started. It, it's really less than a year old. It started just last year. It's been a great partnership. Yeah. Hey, congratulations. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. I think it's a great idea. Um, you ought to have better people to interview than me. Oh, <laughs> that's not true. What, this, is, um, this has been one of our best, great. I would say. I invited back. Uh, well, yeah, if we keep, you know, if they keep letting us do it, we'll, we'll keep it going for sure. You would definitely be a, a, a second time uh, oh, guest. Really? There's no doubt. What year, oh, yeah. what year do you have in mind? <laughs> yeah, maybe a hundred, probably a hundred. Because we, we no, got to no. get. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, we. You're. It's surprising that a 97 year old is not the oldest guest that we've had on, on our <laughs> show. Yeah, I know that. I can't. I'll never can't, catch George. You never catch George. Never so catch that's George. The, yeah. No. God bless him. Yeah. God bless him. He's fantastic. You are too. I mean, this is well. Everyone we've had on so far, and. I think you. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen, but some of them are just really special. So, you get a moment, well, take a listen, and and it'll be dropping in the next month or so. So we'll, it's the we'll best make sure of the best of know. sages, absolutely. Yeah, well, I I want to thank both of you, and I have great admiration for both of you. Uh, uh, you've done this in a highly professional manner, and working with a what you have to work with. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks so much hey thank you you're going to send me your stuff yes i'll send you my email and my address i will absolutely thanks okay. everyone and that wraps up today's episode of sages stories you can view the show notes for additional information mentioned on the show also please visit sages.org for membership information and for the most recent news from our society follow us on twitter at sages underscore updates Make sure you hit the like button and subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Tune in again next time and remember, you can't spell minimally invasive surgery without sages.